Welcome to the Talking Tide podcast, the Sunday Nighter. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. I'm joined as I am twice a week during the football season by Travis Ryer, the senior analyst of BamaOnline.com, and also the radio host of Southern Fried Sports, which you can catch at one oh excuse me, one hundred point nine FM in Tuscaloosa weekdays. 11 to noon, the Talking Tide podcast, available to you first at our web host. That's at podbean.com. Also various apps, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. The Twitter feed, Talking underscore Tide. That's where you can get the instant link when these podcasts go live. And Travis, uh, a wild, wild uh, Auburn-Alabama game down on the plains, 48 to 45, the final score. So much to get into about this game. Uh, Nine, count them, nine lead changes in this Mm -hmm. game. Uh, Tigers take it at home, 48-45. Again, the final score. The penalties, uh, the field goal at the end of the half, the pick sixes, the waddle performance. We could go any. We could go in any of nine or ten directions to start, Travis. Uh, but it all amounts to a, a pretty crushing Alabama loss that knocks them out of the playoff hunt. No need to talk about what kind of help Alabama needs anymore. That discussion is, is now over. No, unless we're going to talk about potential pass to New York Six Bowls. New Year's Six Bowls that don't uh, involve the college football playoff. That stretch of five straight college football playoff appearances comes to an end with the loss down on the Plains. And what about just a second quarter alone in that game? You talked about it. Culminated with a field goal that I, I still haven't quite figured out how Auburn was able to get it off in one second in a ready-for-play situation uh, certainly the review helped, uh, Auburn in that situation, but, um, uh, I still don't know if Nick Saban anyway has gotten an explanation that, uh, that, uh, sort of jives with what was going on in his mind there, but 28 to 20, uh, was, was just your second quarter score, Chase. I predicted a 26 to 24 game. It was 28 to 20 just in the second quarter. You talk about fireworks, uh, both teams really got it going there in the second quarter. Obviously, uh, as you outlined, the pick six is uh, big time. You know, it's hard enough, Chase, to survive one of those in a game. And Jalen Waddle's kickoff return following the first one uh, kind of helped offset one of those two. But if you give up two and you can't answer with special team scores uh, to, to, to both of them, I don't know what the mortality rate is. Uh, for teams that, that go through that, I'm going to guess it, 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 it doesn't have a great shelf life when it comes to the win column, uh, but a game that certainly had everything. And I think for Alabama, you know, people are going to point to the Bullivus missed field goal there late in regulation. How can you not? It's a 30-yard field goal attempt. Uh, nothing good ever seems to happen, by the way, when Alabama is down on that end of the playing surface at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Uh, but it, it would be far, un, far too unfair, far too simplistic to point at just the miss by Bullivus late. I mean, you had penalties throughout the game, 13 penalties. That's a saving error high. You had a holding penalty on the very first possession that negated a touchdown. How big did that look in the end? Uh, and then even on the final possession, you're set up at first and goal. They're inside the 10. Mac Jones has converted a third and a fourth down with his legs on that drive. 
but the fall starts, and, and you give the, the home crowd credit for this. Um, Alabama really struggled with that down the stretch, even went as far as to kind of go to a silent count with the guard helping out uh, with the center and, and the and the sort of the, the battery there between Mac Jones and Landon Dickerson. But, uh, again, when, when you add up the sort of catastrophic numbers and, and the categories that, that sort of qualify as such, you typically don't win football games when it looks like that, and, and that was kind of the case Saturday. No, the, the offensive penalties especially hurt Alabama quite yeah. a bit, and I thought it kind of it, it ruined what was otherwise a strong performance for Alabama's line in terms of blocking. I thought both offensive lines blocked extremely well. There was only one sack in the entire game. Mac Jones had all day to throw on some of those dropbacks. Najee Harris had room to run. Whitlow had room to run. Uh, both offensive lines dominated, but Alabama uh, too often costs itself five yards before they even get the get the snap off. Yeah, I want to say. Well, let's see here. You had you had seven penalties assessed against the Alabama offensive line in the game. Six of those were false starts. One was a holding call on Alex Leatherwood early in the game that I touched on that wiped away a 37-yard catch and run by Henry Ruggs III for a touchdown. Um, and in the fourth quarter alone, by my count, you had five false start penalties on three different players on that offensive line. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a mistake-filled performance in some ways, but I agree with you. In terms of physicality, I wrote about this before the game. You know, there was sort of this narrative that, you know, it, it, Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson were just going to have their absolute way with this Alabama offense. Look, this wasn't the offensive line that Brody Croyle was behind in 2005 that went down there, right? When Brody was sacked like, what, 11 or 12 times in that Iron Bowl loss? This is a team, if you just want to match up and get down and dirty and physical, especially in the run game, uh, Landon Dickerson, Jedrick Wills, Deontay Brown, they're they're pretty comfortable with that. And, and I, I agree with you. Um, I give those guys a lot of credit for hanging in. Uh, and, and just look at the numbers for Najee Harris on that for, for more. I thought more often than not, you know, Alabama got some, some really solid W's uh, in the trenches in that run game. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, and by the way, did you happen to notice Jedrick Wills getting up and landing Dickerson's face on one of those false yeah. starts? That there had it's, to be something going on with a silent count there or something. But that Chase, was it, it. Seemed like you tell me on this. It seemed like as the game got later and later, the operation from the play call to the huddle to dispersing the information, Alabama getting up to the football. Um, and trying to get plays off, it seemed like you know the offensive line too was being asked to hold their water in some situations for elongated periods of time, uh, and that makes it tough for a couple different reasons. Among them, you know the defense has a vantage point of the play clock as well. So if that play clock's getting down to three, two, one, you know they pretty much can go. They can anticipate the snap. You know, they, they get an advantage in that way. So uh, it just seemed to become more. It just seemed like the tempo of the flow of the operation, again, from play call to snap, it, it, it seemed to sort of not grind to a halt, but, but slow considerably 
uh, as that second half moved along, and that, that makes it tough on those offensive lines. Auburn offense, to my surprise, only ended up with 354 yards. It seemed, watching the game but not watching live stats, that the Auburn offense was going up and down the field and, and having its way too much. It looked like a 450-yard game if, if, if you were just watching it. They only got 354 yards. And now, look, that, that's, that's not a tiny number, but it's not a huge number in this day and age of college football either. They scored 34 offensive points on 354 yards. That's, that's pretty good efficiency offensively for that number of yards. Yeah, and the return yards, obviously, on those interceptions. If you tack that on to sort of a total yards, um, you know, you're looking at nearly, what, 130 total yards in returns yeah. off interceptions. Um, Christian Tutt, the punt returner, had a nice punt return in the first half for 37 yards. So those hidden yards, Chase, they don't feel so hidden uh, in a game like this. But, you know, I thought defensively for Alabama um, – in the second half, just couldn't initiate drives with just a, a stop on first down. Three straight possessions, Chase. Auburn with base runs, just base runs. A couple of them to Booby Whitlow, one on his own keep by Bo Nix. 68 yards on three uh, first down runs to open three straight drives there in the second half. So, you know, didn't help from a field position standpoint either. Alabama really had to earn a lot of it. Yes, Alabama did have the 98-yard kickoff return for a touchdown. And yes, there were the explosive plays by Henry Ruggs III and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. But, um, you know, defensively, I thought for it to be the second half of the 12th game of the regular season, not to be able to deal with base run plays, on first down to open drives, um, there, there's really no excuse for it at this point. You know, first half of the season, okay, all the youth, all the freshmen, we talked about all that. So I, it, I, I'm, I'm able to understand that more in the first half of the season. When you're in the 12th game of the regular season and you can't stop the basic you know, zone play, the inside zone, or the keep off of it, you know, it, it's no longer a reason. Okay, it's no longer a legitimate reason when you talk about youth. Now you're talking about an excuse because it shouldn't be as much of a problem as it was there, especially in the second half on Saturday. Some heat on Pete Golding with the fan base in the aftermath. Yeah, of this I, Iron I Bowl think too. I think there's going to be some on you know. Look, Brian Baker and Pete Golding, as we talked about many many times on this podcast, had full plates this year because of all the youth. We understand that. Um, but again, those, those are base run plays. And this isn't, by the way, this isn't 2010 Auburn on the ground. This isn't 2013 Auburn on the ground. This isn't even Auburn on the ground with Kerryon Johnson from two years ago. And you're getting gashed on base run plays in the 12th game of the season against a very, very average Auburn offensive line and rushing attack. It was ugly. It, there's no doubt about it. The the youth in that front seven, for the most part, didn't grow up a lot uh, throughout the season. A lot of struggles, uh, you know. And, and look, maybe we're talking about players that are that are vastly improved a year from now. You never know yeah. who's going to make a jump. But I, I look at Shane Lee, and 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 I see after a year, I see Trey DePriest, uh, who who was an average football player. In yeah. My opinion. Well. 
and and, and the uh, if you're Nick Saban, right? That's what you got away when you consider what you're going to do with this staff for 2020. If you're going to keep it intact, um, if you're Nick Saban, do you look at those run plays, those type of plays from Saturday, and say, you know, those are those are all related exclusively to just youth, you know, and that's that's what it is. I still feel good about my guys for the most part on the defensive. I think there's going to be a change or two anyway. I, I'm, I don't know if it'll be at the coordinator level or not, but I, I would I would anticipate a couple of changes probably um, on the defensive side of the ball. And maybe not even so much. Here's the other part of that too. Maybe not even so much related to on the field performance, but you know this, if, if your guys aren't making – noticeable strides or at least to the approval of the head coach and you're not a major factor on the recruiting trail chase what does that typically mean out you go. for guys on yeah out yeah. you go. so just something i would if i'm an alabama fan and i'm wondering about m- the defensive staff moving forward you need to consider the recruiting aspect in all this too because in the eyes of nick saban he can get a lot of guys who can coach up people how to stack and shed, you know, as defensive linemen. He, he can get a lot of guys that can teach technique. But what are you doing on the recruiting trail? You know, that, that's that's the toughest part, uh, I think, and in in maybe the, the more important part in the eyes of, uh, of Nick Saban. The 100-yard pick six that we touched on briefly a few minutes ago, wanted to talk about that a little bit, Travis, as well. I thought, looking at – the replay a couple times, I, I kind of put that on the fullback, to be honest with you. They're in the eye formation. Yeah. If you watch that yeah. play, the right side of the line all blocked down. They all crashed to the inside, and there was nobody to block the edge man except the fullback, who and, – and I'd never – it was number 20. I had to go to the roster. Uh, and if I'm not it was, mistaken, it was, it was a walk-on from Vestavia Hills, right? It was, no, no, no. I, they switched Ali Cahoe's number. Okay. Because he's also number 10, and you had um, you had Mac Jones at quarterback in 10. If you were going to use Cahoe at fullback, you had to have him in another number. Okay. But, but go, I, I know what you're getting at. Go ahead. Yeah, well, we'll there's touch on that. nobody to block the edge guy yeah. except Cahoe. And for whatever reason, he didn't pick him up. As a result, the edge guy uh, rushes Jones free and clean. Jones has to throw the ball before Najee's ready to turn around and look for it. And mm-hmm. I, I, I don't put that on Mac Jones. I put, I put that on – Cahoe, I, I almost threw a walk on under the. I went to the roster and number twenty. Well, is a, yeah, go ahead because it might be the only time he gets his name on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cooper Bishop. Uh, All right, Coop. Yeah, our bad. Yeah, but, but you made it, Mama. Yeah. We made it. But Cahoe's yeah. got to make that block, and I'm not sure he knew he had to make that block. But well, I don't know here, how he couldn't. Here's the other side of that cross training thing. You know that they're they've been big on, and I and I'm a proponent of, by the way. Because I, I like what it does for the dynamic of the team. I like that it keeps morale high, right? If I got a guy that you know I really like a lot, especially as a future contributor, or a guy that does a lot for my team, say in special teams, like Ali Cahoe does, well, I want to find other ways to, to get him involved. Um, I want to, so to speak, throw some bones his way. 
And we've seen it work to Alabama's benefit many, many times in going with defensive linemen or linebackers. Mac Wilson has done it here in, in recent years uh, at the fullback position. Uh, but I'm with you, and I, I kind of tweeted as much uh, with the replay of the of the pick um, to go along with it. Caho either had either Big Cat Bryant wasn't accounted for in play design altogether, or Caho just didn't make the right play. Caho looked inside when he should have been looking to the edge to make that block, and you know that play had all the looks right. We were on the field for this one in 2009 of Greg McElroy to Roy Upchurch in that same corner, right? Right. I think that was the same corner. Yep. Uh, and it turned out, though, uh, Chase, to be a, a lot like another game we attended in 2007, uh, Mississippi State right there before the half. But I'm with you, though, on Cahoe. I, I, I got to think that was where he was supposed to go. Um, because I, I, I can't imagine a play design that would allow for, uh, a hybrid pass rusher type like Bryant to get into his kitchen as quickly as he did. Especially play side. It's not even weak yeah. side. So yeah. I, I yeah. think it's, uh, some kind of a bust there for sure, uh, was played a big role in that. Now, it, the, the first pick six was all yeah. on Jones. That oh, was one that, of the worst, one of the worst throws, but maybe the worst throw he's, he's ever made at Alabama. The second one, I, I think if, if they may, if, if Cahoe makes that block, Mac Jones holds that ball another half second and, and it's a touchdown. Yeah. The, the first one was the first time in the game where you felt like he tried to maybe wish it out there. You know, there wasn't a lot of conviction in that throw at all. And uh, as a result, it sailed on him. He, he didn't pull the old lampshade down, like they say, you know, and and really snap through that throw with a, with a lot of confidence. And, and again, our conviction. Uh, and he paid the price for it. But I will say this uh, for, for Mac Jones. Throughout the game, he kept coming back, you know. And, um, and, and when you look at it, again, yeah, four touchdown passes, 335 yards. He lost another 37 yards, I guess, and a touchdown on the hold there. Could have been a five-touchdown game, which only makes you wonder even more, right? If Matt Jones threw for 335 and four on Saturday, what would uh, Tua Viola done against that Auburn defense? Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Lots more to get to on this edition of the podcast. But first, we're going to thank a couple of sponsors, starting with Session Cocktails and Spirits, Tuscaloosa's newest cocktail bar, located at 2221 University Boulevard, right by that children's hands-on museum. It's easy to find. Hunter Wiggins has put together a talented staff of bartenders that are going to make the same drink the same way every time. It's a deep and spectacular cocktail menu. They've got a separate happy hour menu that's outstanding. I've told you about the peanut butter whiskey shooter that's a can't miss. That's just $5. And don't forget about the Capri either with the Tito's handmade vodka, grapefruit, cane sugar. It's an $8 drink and a portion of that goes to the Tuscaloosa Metro Animal Shelter. Fancy glassware, funky atmosphere, and stiff drinks over at Session Cocktails and Spirits. Uh, Be sure to check them out soon, featuring pre-prohibition and modern classic cocktails. All right, also want to thank North River Dental Associates, our charter sponsor, 
Dr. Jack Smalley and his staff of dental hygienists located at 1100 Fairfax Park, right off of McFarland Boulevard in Northport. They do an outstanding job. They're great with working with those insurance people. I've mentioned that to you before. Some offices, dentists, doctors, uh, they leave you hanging a little bit with those people. But if there's any communication gap whatsoever uh, with your insurance company, they're real good at getting that taken care of. They're also going to get you in and out quickly, typically under an hour, sometimes a lot less than an hour on a routine cleaning, especially if you get in there twice a year for a routine cleaning like you're supposed to. So for you, your family, your children. Make sure you get over to North River Dental Associates. They do it all over there. Porcelain veneers, teeth whitening services, dental implants, endodontics, dentures, you name it. You can make an appointment at NorthRiverDentist.com or give them a call at 752-3506. It's North River Dental Associates. I'm going to tell you about Southern Ale House out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. So many great options, whether you're looking to go maybe a little bit lighter, get that chopped wedge salad. You can get it with the uh, grilled chicken on there, uh, very fresh uh, lettuce, tomatoes, homemade bacon bits, you know, the good stuff. Those homemade croutons to go with it. Now, you can get it with blue cheese crumbles with the blue cheese dressing. Or, like me, you can just say, look, no blue cheese. Give me the homemade balsamic vinaigrette dressing on the side. They'll do that for you, no problem. At Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section. Of course, they got those great sandwiches and burgers for you. I know Good Bread likes that burger uh, real good. We both like that Yardbird chicken sandwich, by the way. A smoked chicken breast with uh, some thick-cut bacon on there, arugula. You got American cheese. You're going to get that Slap Your Mama sauce on a buttery soft bun they got that for you at southern ale house as well at southern ale house outstanding happy hour for you each and every weekday there live music on the deck weather permitting southern ale house 1530 mcfarland boulevard north in the indian hill section of tuscaloosa also in downtown tuscaloosa you can find a top 10 breakfast in the entire united states of america at brick and spoon downtown tuscaloosa at Timerson Square, you know, if you like something a little sweet, try those cafe beignets. They're powdered sugar on there. Um, they're homemade, absolutely homemade. That's a good way to get you going for breakfast. And all of those omelets, the three cheese and ham omelet, that's ham with Gouda cheddar and Monterey Jack cheeses. There's a garden omelet if you just want the seasonal vegetables and maybe some feta cheese to go on there. They can do that for you as well. Maybe something in between. Maybe brunch. Well, the breakfast tacos are certainly going to fit you. You're going to get that fried wonton shell uh, with chorizo, scrambled eggs, uh, cheese on there, some sour cream, mango salsa. Yeah, breakfast tacos. At Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa at Timerson Square. And, of course, the... The world famous at this point, right? Uh, Bloody Marys that you're going to find. You can build your own at Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa at Timerson Square. I just posted just now a photo of a little trip to Brick and Spoon I took over the weekend of that Bananas Foster Stuffed French Toast. Yeah. Is, uh, if you'd like to take a look at that, it is on the Talking Tide podcast feed right now. And uh, it'll knock your socks off. You won't want lunch. I'll tell you, I didn't. 
Uh, yeah. It took care of me till dinner. <laughs> Caramelized bananas, Foster sauce. Uh, you got pecans on there, some whipped cream, and some powdered sugar. That'll get you going. Got to work. Got to walk in there with a bit of a sweet tooth for that one, but it'll it'll take care of you. Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in. Again, that Twitter feed, talking underscore Tide, Chase Goodbread and Travis Ryer with you. We're going to close things out talking a little bit about what's uh, coming for the Alabama postseason. Maybe look around a couple of scores from Rivalry Weekend. Travis, let's start with one of the post-Iron Bowl topics among the fan base uh, certainly in that Twitter universe we were just talking about, and that's the possibility of a bowl sit-out or two or three or who knows how many uh, for Alabama's draft-eligible players. This is something that Nick Saban has not had to deal with because they've been to the playoff every year since mm-hmm. Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey kind of made it a thing. And ever since McCaffrey and Fournette decided this is we're, we're, we're this is what we're going to do, well, it's it's kind of blown up and ballooned, and and it's happening kind of left and right in college football. But you go to the playoff, obviously, no one's gonna no one's gonna do that. So it's a it's a new thing for Nick. It is, um, and uh, I think we know what his stance is going to be on it. Uh, he's going to feel strongly that uh, guys should finish the deal and, uh, you know, play it out through the season. And, you know, there's there's things to consider here, obviously, from a financial standpoint, because we learned in the days following the hip injury to Tuatanga Vailoa that he, in fact, did not possess loss of value insurance, Chase. In other words, he had the standard sort of disability coverage that comes from the University of Alabama. Alabama, unlike some other schools, doesn't provide loss of value insurance in specific cases involving highly projected uh, future draft picks, which to a time of Iowa obviously would have qualified as. So if you're Jerry Judy, uh, and I don't know this, I don't know the answer to this, if you're Jerry Judy, um, or maybe Henry Ruggs third, or uh, one of these guys, uh, and you don't have loss of value insurance, uh, is there good reason why you would play in, a, say, an Orange Bowl game um, if you're not covered? I mean, obviously, selfishly, I want all these guys to play, and, and I'm not sitting here trying to dole out advice, um, but when you consider you know, what you could potentially lose by playing in a game that isn't tied in to the college football playoff, uh, I think it does make for an interesting scenario coming up, as you said, that, that Nick Saban hasn't had to deal with as of yet. We know two things about Nick Saban that are going to clash a little bit, I think, in his mind over this. One, as you pointed out, we know he's an old schooler. We know he's going to hate the entire notion of uh, – a top player especially sitting out a bowl game for the draft that cuts against every fiber in Nick Saban's body from an old from the old school sense but we also know that Nick Saban has a very acute awareness of how the things he says and does plays with recruits and to be publicly or openly critical of a player who decides he's going to uh, sit out a bowl game and protect his future that wouldn't play so good with the with the five stars, Travis. 
I wouldn't think so. It would sound a bit disconnected, you know, from, uh, you know, what, what matters and should matter, uh, to a lot of these guys who have so much on the line. Uh, and by the way, I, you know, Alabama isn't the only program out there, only athletic department out there that doesn't provide loss of value insurance, but yeah, you know, that too is where recruiting could come into this, you know, whether or not it, it, economically makes a lot of sense fiscally makes a lot of sense for an athletic department to provide that to players up and uh, above and beyond the disability uh aspect of the insurance uh it's something that could get you hit on the recruiting trail too because i believe clemson let's say clemson i believe clemson provided a loss of value policy to deshaun watson that he didn't have to pay for that the program, the school paid for, I, I want to say up to $5 million, something like that, in, in addition to uh, the standard dis, uh, disability policy. So um, this thing could go a, a number of different directions in the coming years in terms of you know what schools uh, feel obligated to provide, even again, if it doesn't make the most fiscal sense. And, and again, I'm not knocking Alabama for not doing it. Um, because I think Alabama looks at it from a standpoint of when you talk about resources and, you know, helping guys get back from injuries and, and all those things and, and the preventive measures that Alabama offers, just the wellness care in general, okay, that the University of Alabama offers to its football players, it, it isn't surpassed anywhere else in the country. So I get that. But as you're sort of pointing to, just on the face of how things can be presented to influential ears and eyes uh, is something that, that Alabama may have to consider in the, in the future for a couple of different reasons. Probably worth pointing out too. And, and uh, yeah, I'm probably five years. Like, the last time I've examined this and really looked at it, it, it's been five years, Travis. So if I'm behind the times a little bit, let me go, let me know. But as far as I know, it's also worth pointing out that, Schools don't have a bottomless pit of money to provide no. this thing for. What this the money for these insurance policies that the schools provide comes from what I believe is known as the Student Athlete Assistance Fund, and yep. it, it, it's a fund that gets. Uh, it's basically a bucket of cash that gets filled annually by the school. And it's intended to help all student athletes for all kinds of mm -hmm. reasons. And I would like, and just for instance, um, you know, maybe a flight home for a, a, a relative's funeral, for instance, or, you know, just something of that nature right. uh, that, that the NCAA allows schools to do for its student athletes here and there. Well, I'm just throwing this out there. I don't know what the numbers look like, but if you're Alabama and you got 10 guys that are going to get drafted, if you throw loss of value insurance for all those guys on top of the disability insurance premiums, I might wipe that whole thing out for the, yeah, for the higher student athletes. I, I don't think you do it for just draftable guys. I think where you would probably draw the line is you got to be pretty much a slam dunk top, 10 to 15 guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, if you're, if you're sort of a fringe first rounder or more of a third to fifth round, no, no, I, I wouldn't think the, the, like I said, we're talking about guys like Deshaun Watson, uh, like Tua Tonga, Jerry Judy, 
Um, you know, when you look at this Alabama draft class potentially for 2020, Chase, how many right now do you look at and say that guy is a slam dunk top ten? Tua before the hip injury, right? Tua before Jerry Jerry Tua Judy the hip injury. I think Jerry Judy, yeah. And, and if if you want and that's to- probably it. I mean, yeah. maybe Henry Ruggs third. Is he a slam dunk top ten? Who else? I don't think he's a slam dunk top ten. But you've got you got other. You get, he's certainly a slam dunk first rounder. I I, I don't think there's. I guess the biggest thing that. is from a perception standpoint, you don't want the story that has come out in the days since Tua Tonga Bailoa's injury to come out about Tua Tonga Bailoa. You know what I mean? Yeah. If it's a if it's a guy who's a third to fifth round offensive guard. That nobody writes the story. Nobody cares. You know, that fair or unfair. Not that the, that that person isn't any more valuable or as valuable as Tua Tonga Vailoa. But this guy is a is a all time player in your program. And, and look, the disability thing is huge because the Action Network did the story that kind of went into Tua and not having the loss of value policy and the fact that Alabama doesn't provide that for guys like Tua Tonga Vailoa. But within that same report, circling back to what you just talked about, you know, nearly 70%, according to the Action Network in a discussion with Greg Byrne, the athletic director at UA, nearly 70% of its student assistance fund this year went to paying permanent total disability premiums for 16 football players. So you're right. I mean, there's already a big pool of money that is going out the door. The The, the point where you, you run into you know, struggling to gain much uh, sympathy from uh, outsiders is the fact that you're turning a press box into $5 million boxes at Bryant-Denny Stadium. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, when you're Alabama – People don't want to hear that, well, you know, that student assistance fund is drying up, you know. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, you got $5 million boxes yeah. at, at Bryant-Denny. So, you know, it, it's a lot of its perception. But here's my thing. If you are a program like in Alabama and you aren't providing, uh, you aren't covering guys like Tua Tonga-Vailoa or Jerry Judy uh, on your dime for loss of value, then in my opinion, you forfeit any complaint you could have with those guys for not playing in a meaningless bowl game. In other words, not playing in a bowl game that doesn't involve the college football playoff. I would imagine the loss of value, not to belabor the insurance, talk too much talk about insurance on the sports podcast. but well, I mean, Aflac is a big saving sponsor now, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're doing them a favor. I would imagine that the loss of value premium is a lot stiffer than the disability premium. So yeah. if they're already paying 70% of that fund just for the disability premiums, 16 you, guys. Yeah. If, if, if you throw on loss of value for the top two or three guys, you're going to pinch out a lot of that other 30%. I'll bet you are, you are, but you're also, you're also going to stop the Clemson man from beating you over the head on the recruiting trail. With it. Yeah. You know, that Clemson uh, man, the Clemson man's out there right now. He's like, uh, he's like Jake LaMotta in his prime, probably with that, with that loss of value premium, you know, right now, you know, Tommy <laughs> at some places, they're not going to cover you when you're a projected top 10 pick. Uh, <laughs> they wouldn't do that. They Clemson. wouldn't do that. Would they chase? We'd they wouldn't do, do that. The right However, <laughs> 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 because we care about you, Tommy. 
bowl oh, prospects for the Crimson Tide. Uh, where do you think they might land, Travis? I know you stay on top of that thing. What are what? What's the most likely destination and the most likely opponent as you see it right now? Uh, for some of these guys, uh, maybe the senior. No, I mean, I think it's going to be. Yeah, it sounds like. Well, I mean, it's going to have to. Pro- I would think it would have to be either the orange or, um, or cotton, right? Uh, because the SEC team that isn't in the cot. Well, you know, if it somehow ends up being Georgia and LSU both in the the college football playoff. Uh, obviously the SEC would love that for a couple reasons. First of all, you get two teams in the college football playoff, but then you could be looking at, uh, you know, having two more for sure in the, in the new year six, because, you know, that sugar bowl spot would open up to either Alabama or Florida. And I would think either one of those schools that doesn't go to new Orleans would end up in either Miami or Dallas. Uh, now, if it is just one representative of the of the SEC in the college football playoff, now you got really three schools, um, you know, looking for potentially three New Year's Six spots between Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. And Georgia and Alabama, I think, would would uh, win those. Win two, would be two of those for sure. Um, and so if Georgia doesn't make the college football playoff, I would think Georgia goes back to perhaps the sugar and then, uh, Alabama probably looking at something more along the lines of the orange bowl. And then it gets tight for Florida from there. We'll know for sure a week from tonight. Yes, we will. Uh, it'll yes, be, uh, I guess the Sunday night or next week, uh, we should not only know, we'll, we'll know what everybody's doing, I guess, by that time. So, uh, uh, But around the SEC this week, Travis, no surprise. Really, I guess Auburn, the only uh, upset uh, that I can see, Florida takes care of business against Florida State on rivalry weekend. Georgia bombs Georgia Tech. Clemson bombs South Carolina. LSU bombs A&M. Uh, not a lot of close contests. With the lone exception of <laughs> our, yours, my Egg Bowl, Thanksgiving oh. night, Mississippi State 21, Ole Miss 20. And what about the finish, Travis? <laughs> Elijah Moore with the DK Metcalf replication of yeah. the peeing bulldog in the end zone. And Matt Luke fired just hours yeah. ago uh, yeah. in the Sunday aftermath. Night. Unreal. Couldn't wait. Yeah, schools can't wait till Black Monday anymore, you know. They go ahead and do it on Sunday. Um, yeah, that that was rough. And after all the apologies and all those things, it, it, it didn't matter for Matt Luke in the end, did it? Um, just brutal. You know, a hell of a finish. Matt Corral comes off the bench. I thought maybe Matt Luke went to Corral a series early. Now, Corral kind of pushed him down the field, and he threw the big pick there in the fourth quarter. But then, you know, you convert a fourth and 24 on that last drive, Chase. Get in the end zone with four seconds left, and Elijah Moore uh, goes fire hydrant uh, on the the one end zone there at (laughs) Davis-Wade Stadium. And then you knew what was going to happen with the extra point from there, 35 yards out. Uh, it goes begging to the right and, uh, you know, Mississippi state qualifies for a bowl. Maybe Nashville is where Mississippi state's headed, uh, at six and six. It looks like 
Uh, Joe Moorhead gets a year ex- added to that contract for recruiting purposes as much as anything. I don't think the buy-in is still there at all where Joe Moorhead is. That that got him another year, I would th- I would think, in, in all likelihood, uh, that win against Ole Miss. But, y- y- I mean, we thought that was bizarre, though. And then we got Saturday uh, down on the Plains. Crazy. Mississippi State loses that game, finishes five and seven, out of bowl contention. Does it is Moorhead in trouble or not? Yeah, you know it's easy now for some over in Starkville to say, "Oh no, 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 no." He was coming back regardless. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was, I, I wasn't asking for input on the Mississippi State situation um, late Thanksgiving afternoon, but I was getting it from some connected people anyway. And there were strong rumblings before kickoff that uh, Joe might be in trouble regardless of what happened in that game and that perhaps a guy like Billy Napier, the former Alabama assistant who is doing a great job at Louisiana Lafayette, uh, could be in play there. And so now what will be interesting is with uh, Moorhead apparently staying for at least another year, uh, is a guy like Napier involved at Ole Miss? Is it Mike Norvell, uh, p- perhaps, uh, from Memphis? Uh, you know, where does where do the Rebels turn to now? Rich Rod, get a look. You know, I, I think they could do worse than Rich Rod. Uh, I, I think Rich Rod and Mike McIntyre, the defensive coordinator, were huge upgrades uh, for for that team. And I thought with with the insulation of those two coordinators, Luke might be safe, you know, for another year. But uh, I think the more situation and kind of how that thing went down in Starkville Thanksgiving night, uh, in the eyes of the new AD, which which Ole Miss just hired here uh, recently, it, it just was not a tenable uh, situation. More also in that game with the fair catch after the catch on the punt. Yeah, that was great too. And you didn't think he could top that, but oh yes, he had he had a little bit more later in the game for that. You couldn't even see the brownie on that Sunday. I mean, oh, it just he, he 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 topped it like like uh, nothing else. That thing had nuts, whipped cream, and a cherry on top. Nuts for sure. Yeah. All right. That's that's gonna do yeah, it exactly. for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Be sure to join us. Uh, I guess season over, Travis. I guess our next podcast, we're going to turn just a programming note at the end of the season. Travis and I tend to peel things back to one podcast a week. Uh, So uh, I guess next Sunday will be the next time we reconvene. Looking forward to it. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and – I almost said I'm from Southern Fried Sports. (laughs) Well, you can do that too. We need all – yeah. All the help we can get there. Occasional yeah. guest on Southern Fried Sports. I'm Chase Goodbread. We'll talk to you next time right here on Talking Tide.